This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Downey. This week's guest is U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. As a company devoted to making our mission, science for a better life, a reality, Bayer takes pride in equipping brewers and consumers with the tools they need to get the job done, whether that's producing a quality harvest to feed a growing world population or protecting a beloved garden landscape from damaging pests. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky next. Today's innovative technologies have led to safer, more sustainable agriculture practices that are better for our families and the world we call home. And a brighter future awaits thanks to the research and innovation that lie at the core of Bayer's commitment to agriculture and our society. We believe by relying on sound scientific principles, the industry as a whole can continue to meet the challenges posed by a rapidly growing and changing world. For more information, visit cropscience.bayer.us. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The U.S. Senate is on a one-week break this week in Washington. U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says the chamber has a long agenda to accomplish in this election year. The Kentucky Republican believes the chamber can accomplish its tasks now that they're back to work in regular order. A lot of people correctly thought the Senate was dysfunctional under the previous majority. Good example of that. In all of 2014, there were only 15 roll call votes on amendments in the whole year. The first year, last year, under the new majority, we had over 200. Uh, the previous majority hadn't passed a budget in four of the last five years. We did that. But we also looked for things that both sides could agree on that were worth doing and did them. For example, trade promotion authority, so the president can negotiate a trade agreement and get it up to Congress for an up or down vote. We did a complete rewrite of No Child Left Behind, the elementary and secondary education bill. We passed a five-year highway bill. You'd think that would be easy. That hadn't been done in 20 years. Uh, we did a cybersecurity bill. We made the R&D tax credit permanent, and particularly from a farmer point of view, we made Section 179 expensing permanent. We also made the Internet tax moratorium permanent so that people couldn't tax the Internet. And this year we've moved ahead with a major uh, opioid bill, uh, the heroin epidemic, which we're experiencing in Kentucky and across the country, is an enormous problem. We passed a comprehensive energy bill. That hadn't happened in 10 years. And we've started the appropriations process. Now, most of your listeners don't really know what that is, but there are 12 bills you're supposed to pass that fund the government. Uh, it's been over 20 years since each one of them passed. In other words, we would ball them all up into big what we call omnibus which is a terrible way to do business. Uh, I'm devoting the next 12 weeks of the Senate to passing individual appropriation bills. It's the way the government ought to work. And under this new majority, the Senate is back to work and functioning again. And you're working under regular order. Yeah, things like passing each of these bills and having them open for amendment so that members from both sides can offer their ideas. And I think about the agriculture community and the leaders like yourself who helped to bring the 2014 Farm Bill. It is a democratic process and an open forum. When the appropriation bills for agriculture does come to the floor, then it's subject to amendment. Can we protect the legislation and the policies that are in place? Yes, I think so. Uh, it was a threat last year to crop insurance, but we fixed it. 
the big thing for agriculture right now that we've not been able to get a result on so far, even though I devoted floor time in the Senate to it, is this GMO labeling issue, which is a big, big concern. Uh, you're familiar with the issue. I know your listeners are. You've got a preposterous situation where one state can set up a labeling standard that uh, costs people in the food producing business, both farmers and, and, manu- and the, the manufacturers of food products, uh, an enormous amount of money. Uh, just imagine a scenario under which you had 50 different labeling uh, systems around the country. We've been stymied on passing that so far by the Democrats. Um, I haven't given up on it. It's an important issue. We want to try to solve it. But that's one thing that affects American agriculture that we haven't gotten an outcome on yet. It was said once uh, by by representatives that I met here in Washington that we have, uh, in essence, forfeited the right of interstate commerce to the Attorney General of Vermont. We've allowed that state to write the policy at which things will be labeled and the way that trade will occur. And amazingly, it doesn't fit for Vermont products, only those outside Vermont. I agree with that assessment, and imagine how it could get worse. Let's say that Massachusetts decides to have a different standard, or Maine decides to have a different standard. You would have individual states, in effect, absolutely interfering with interstate commerce because of the disparate requirements. So it's a big problem. I'd love to be able to tell you we've gotten it fixed. We haven't gotten it fixed yet, but we haven't given up. Do you think it's a matter of of partisanship, or is it a matter of the people that the elected officials represent? Perhaps Mr. Robertson, Ms. Stabenow, the people that they represent and their differences opinion as opposed to personal. Well, I think you've got a major part of the food business now that is deeply invested in hostility towards GMO. And so they have a reasonable share of the market. They, too, come in and argue for their side of it. So I think it's mostly Democrats versus Republicans, but I think the the, the people who are sort of freaked out, if you will, about GMO um, are a segment of the food production economy, and they have worked very hard on the Democrats on this issue. And so it's, it's made it difficult, even though the Republicans control the Senate, we can't pass a bill like this without a supermajority of 60, uh, which we don't have. So we're continuing to work on it. I think the Democrats are being pressured by both sides, and that's good. And there are a few Democrats left in farm states, not many, but a few. And they're on our side on this, and we're hoping to get a solution. You have a majority, but not 60 votes that would like to tie the hands of the Environmental Protection Agency on their waters of the U.S. rule. Are the legislative attempts over here, or do you still think there'll be other opportunities during the appropriation process to attack again? Well, it's hard to get the president to sign a bill that undoes what the president's doing. (laughs) For example, we used a a part of a law called the Congressional Review Act. When When the waters of the United States regulation came out, there is a process by which, by simple majority vote, you can pass a repealer and put it on his desk. And we did that last November. But, of course, he didn't sign it, which would make sense because he was in favor of what he was doing. And so it underscores, again, the importance of the presidency in our system. So let's consider another point. Uh, Farmers in Kentucky, farmers across the Midwest, 
uh, would relish the opportunity to have greater access to global markets. You pass the TPA in your chamber, and it's been approved. The president has that now. Uh, there's a TPP agreement that uh, Mr. Peterson from, from Minnesota said if you brought it to the House today, it, it wouldn't pass. What are your thoughts on the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and, and how should it be considered, or should it be considered this year? Well, first, the politics of it. You've got both Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders against it, and Donald Trump against it as well. So in this kind of atmosphere where you've got the major presidential candidates of both parties out against it, I think uh, the congressman you were referring to probably has an accurate assessment of the likelihood of success if the measure were brought before the Senate in the middle of this election year. There's some other problems. The substance of the agreement did not treat tobacco fairly. And I think the um, substance of the agreement also did not treat the pharmaceutical industry fairly. So there are some substantive problems. But the biggest problem right now is the political environment to pass a trade bill is worse than any time in the time I've been in the Senate because we're right in the middle of this presidential election year. The candidates are all against what the president has negotiated, the Democratic candidates for president and the Republican candidates for president. So you're darned if you do and darned if you don't. Well, the good news is the deal does not go away. It's still there. It can be modified. Uh, Trade promotion authority is for six years, so the next president will still have the authority under which they can negotiate a deal and send it up for an up or down vote. Without the authority, you could never pass any trade agreement. So it looks bleak for this year. That's the bad news for those who are interested in trade, like most everybody in agriculture. But the good news is it doesn't just go away. I mean, it's still there. Uh, if not dealt with this year, it's still there to be dealt with next year. Is it a guarantee for the lame duck session? No, I make no guarantees um, about the outcome this year. I'm just telling you that the, the political environment is very tough. What does it say to the rest of the world if the U.S. walks away from this particular agreement? Well, walking away means you've ultimately given up on it. And as I said a minute ago, and I'll say again, it's still there after the end of this year. It's still sitting there. It could be modified. could be dealt with. It doesn't, unlike most things we do in Congress, which end at the end of a Congress. Every two years it's over and you start over. It's still there uh, for the next president to take a look at, modify. It's It doesn't just automatically go away if it's not dealt with this year. And I'm sure the president would like to have it dealt with while he's president. But that's just a matter of bragging rights. It's not a matter of getting an outcome. And I think the chances of getting an outcome in the middle of a year like this are pretty slim. Let's take one more step, and I would ask with regard to Cuba. It was a time that, that, that was polar enough that it seemed to be to the side, but there's a tremendous amount of discussion now with the executive order this president has taken toward that communist island nation. Is there a look at the embargo coming up? What needs to happen for that to come before a chamber? Well, I know there are a lot of people in agriculture that want to do business in Cuba, but I'm still not very happy with normalizing relationships with that country, given how they have, in my view, engaged in no reforms whatsoever. 
But I know there's a lot of American agriculture that's anxious to normalize relations with Cuba. To completely do that would require some congressional actions because some of the Cuban sanctions are legislative as opposed to just executive branch. And right now I don't see much sentiment for normalizing relations in Cuba in the Congress. The president has taken a number of unilateral steps, and I think obviously that opens up Cuba more than it has been. But to get it, to get rid of all the sanctions would require congressional action. I don't think that's going to happen this year. I haven't heard much voice of this within the Kentucky Farm Bureau, but I have from other agriculture groups on the national scale, especially to the West, who believe that the, the Endangered Species Act is being used against property owners and especially against agriculture. When does that bubble up to a point that it can be considered? Obviously, after the election. Well, it's true. That, that's exactly what's happening. But much, much like the waters of the U.S., in order to to modify it, you'd have to pass something, and the president would have to sign it. But the president's a big supporter of the Endangered Species Act. He's a big supporter of all these regulations that are slowing down American business, whether it's in healthcare, financial services. Look what the EPA has done to the coal industry. This is going on all across the country. It's been a regulatory rampage. The chance that he would have some flexibility with regard to the Endangered Species Act, I think, is zero. So the presidency in our system, as I said earlier, is a really important job. And I'm hoping that we elect somebody this year who has a very different view about how to get America going again. I need to ask a question if I can. It appears that there are factions inside the GOP. It's an election year. Can the GOP come together? Can you unite? Can you unite in your chamber? Can you unite behind a candidate and, and move in one direction? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there are big divisions among Democrats, too. You've got Bernie Sanders and his followers who think the president hadn't been liberal enough. <laughs> so um, I think that both parties will get behind whoever their nominees ultimately are. It's a very competitive business. Running for president is tough. Very competitive, very contentious. And uh, But I think when the conventions uh, complete their work, both parties will get behind whoever the nominee is. Here's the last question for you, and I realize I'm talking to the majority leader. What's this race about? What's this race for the White House about? What's this race for both of the branches of Congress? What's it really about in 16? Well, I think the race for the presidency is about this. Are the American people satisfied with the last eight years? Do they think that's as good as we can do? Or do they think we ought to take a different path? Hillary Clinton will be a third term for Barack Obama, more of the same for four more years. If people are content with that, then she's got the upper hand. If, on the other hand, people think America's best days are ahead of us, that we can do better than this by taking a different path, then I think they'll choose the Republican nominee. Our thanks to U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer as a company devoted to making our mission, science for a better life, a reality. Bayer takes pride in equipping growers and consumers with the tools they need to get the job done, whether that's producing a quality harvest to feed a growing world population or protecting a beloved garden landscape from damaging pests. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley. 